You're listening to the Mindful Psychology Podcast, a podcast designed to explore mindfulness, psychology, neuroscience, and various aspects of holistic health. My name is Jen. I'm your host. I'm also a therapist, an educator, and a yoga teacher. Join me and brilliant guests as we explore various topics and offer you actionable steps so that you can be informed and intentional about your health and well-being. Now sit back, relax, maybe take a notebook out, and let's dive in. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Mindful Psychology Podcast. My name is Jen, I am your host, and today we are joined by Charlene. Charlene is a psychotherapist and a mindfulness teacher and coach, and so excited to be talking to Charlene today because she just brings so much insight about how to deal with distress, so distress tolerance she calls it, and the three states that we have, so the more uh, rational state of mind, the why state of mind, and the emotional state of mind. And she unpacks that for us and explains to us how this shows up in our lives. And then she'll also talk about different ways to be mindful in conflict or with difficult situations or even around things that make us anxious and just so many fun things. And she just explains it so well and so clearly and really gives so many great tips about how to live more mindfully and pause. So without further ado, here is Charlene. Hi, Charlene. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Where are you joining us from? From Toronto in Canada. Toronto in Canada, very nice. How's the weather there? It's pretty gloomy and it's starting to get cold, which I don't like. Oh no? <laughs> You're more of a summer person? Yeah. Yeah. Not definitely. like the 40 degree summer person, but like, you know. Like June, May. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, Toronto's great. Um, all right, great. So why don't we jump into talking about you, your work, how you got there, uh, just for all the listeners to know who you are. <laughs> okay. So I said, I'm Charlene, and I'm a psychotherapist and a mindfulness teacher and coach. And I got into mindfulness um, six years ago now, after I was in a pretty traumatic accident. And in the accident, I sustained um, a brain injury. Um, and, you know, navigating like the new, <laughs> my new reality there's a lot of anxiety and stuff that I was dealing with. And so I was seeing a social worker at the time and she suggested, you know, maybe some mindfulness will help because I was undergoing a lot of surgeries and there was a lot of like unknowns. And so I tried it and I remember vividly like one day in, uh, I was doing the mindfulness based stress reduction program and I was working with a woman and I was just like, um, why doesn't everybody know this? And I need to teach this. And so um, I was also, as I was studying with her, I was doing my master's to become a psychotherapist. So I finished that. And, and before starting to actually work as a therapist, I did the mindfulness training and ended up working, well, as a student, you know, you have to do practicums. My practicum and my employment was at a place where they did a lot of, it's called dialectical behavior therapy, and there's a mindfulness component in it. And it just seemed also like aligned, right? Like I just mm -hmm. finished the mindfulness training and I went into this place where there's a focus on mindfulness in with our work with clients. And I was like, this is perfect. Mm -hmm. And I'd been working there um, since, um, but on the side doing a lot of my own uh, mindfulness teaching. And so I started my business, the mindfulness journey. Um, officially um two and a half years ago wow. and i've been doing a lot of workshops around the city um now doing some online stuff as i said i have a brain injury so i do a lot of work in the brain injury community with other survivors and caregivers because mindfulness is so helpful for everybody um but especially like when you're going through something and you're kind of like well now what like especially like now right in the midst of covid learning how to be okay with not knowing what the future holds like that shift in your mind i mean as i said i had a lot of anxiety and so learning how to be more mindful was helpful for me and for my clients but like getting out of your head and just being like okay i can just focus on today mm. right like this minute versus like you know, all the minutes and tomorrows and the next six months and years and all that stuff. So 
Yeah. Wow, that's a really inspiring story. Thanks. <laughs> it's a great story. I love that. And um, I'm really curious to find out how mindfulness has impacted you in this recovery that you're in with your brain injury. Um, I mean, it makes sense, but what are some examples of that or some practices that you've adopted with that? Um, there's so many, like, as I said, um, I had a lot of anxiety after the accident, but in reality, I had anxiety kind of my whole life, like being shy. So never like speaking up for myself. Um, never, like I would never have signed up for like podcast interviews before learning mindfulness, <laughs> but with the recovery, like in small ways, it's, um, advocating for myself with my doctors. Like, well, no, I, you know, I think it should be this, or this is, you know, what's going on. But even just the simple fact of like, this is what I'm noticing in my body, right? Because mm-hmm. doctors are great at knowing their niche. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're not exactly in that box, they're kind of like, not at a loss, but like, it's a lot harder. So it's like, well, this is typically how this goes. It's like, okay, but this is what I'm experiencing. So being able to notice what I'm feeling and then being able to say it to my doctors was so helpful. Sure. And then, as I said, um, I had to, I've undergone a number of surgeries as part of my recovery and related to my accident. And just the like, like one of my surgeries um, was delayed because there was an emergency. And I was like, all right. And I like literally took a nap, like in the pre-op room. Like I was undergoing a neurosurgery and to be like, I'm just going to take a nap. Like, because mindfulness just helps you to just be like, all right, I can't do anything more in this moment. Um, I'm going to sleep. They also put this like, kind of like a vacuum hose under my blanket that pumped in like hot air. So like I would have fallen asleep regardless because it was so nice and toasty, but <laughs> yeah, it just, you know, it just helps you to just be like, okay, Absolutely. this is this moment. And this is, you know, this is what I'm noticing in my body. This is what I need. Yeah. Um, this is how I'm feeling and how to like move forward mm-hmm. moment to moment. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree with the, the part where we know best, right? Like we know what we're experiencing. Yeah. And that's, that's so important as well is that, you know, you can go see a therapist or you can go see a doctor or something like that. And that's great. You know, therapists and doctors are great. They're doing really good work. But at some point, you know, your role has to come in and you have to be aware of what you're feeling. And I think that's often overlooked. I think we don't always encourage people to say, okay, well, yes, you feel helpless. And yes, you know, you're going through this thing. And yes, there are people out there to help, but you can also have the tools and the awareness. Yeah. You already have so much just being you that mm-hmm. can help you. So yeah, that's, that's incredible. Um, and then with your work, so you, we had talked off air as well about how you did a, a number of different things in your, in your, in your, your therapy career. So you talked about uh, developmental delays. You talked about people who are working with kids who are on the spectrum. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, so I was working as a child and youth worker. That was sort of my title at the time. And I was working in group homes, um, in inpatient units, at a hospital, and with a school board. And I worked with a lot of kids, um, as I said, with developmental delays um, or on the autism spectrum. And it was... It's very different from what I'm doing now, but like in those kinds of fields, like some of my kids would get aggressive, um, especially kids with autism, you know, when they'd have a meltdown. And so my role, and I didn't like know it at the time, but what there's a bit of like mindfulness when I didn't know mindfulness in the sense that like I had to be their kind of um, anchor and I had to hold the space for them and I had to, you know, my role was to make them feel safe. So like when they'd have meltdowns, cause they couldn't always control them, mm. um, but they knew afterwards that like they would be coming back to like a safe space. Like I wouldn't get mad at them. Right. Mm. Um, and so like, you know, creating that environment with them where like they can act out um, and come back and be able to face me and to face like their classmates or the other people wherever we were mm. afterwards was a big part of it and it's you know there's a lot of mindfulness and psychology in that and just holding a space for someone mm-hmm. is so needed and um, a lot of my you know sort of the pre-work is forming that 
relationship, that connection with the people that I work with, allowing them to come to me to be like, this is what I'm feeling. Kids with autism or developmentally delays didn't really know have the language to address what's going on, which is why like now like learning mindfulness, um, realizing like, oh, this is what I'm feeling and this is what, you know, my emotions and my thoughts connected to the sensations in my body. I wish I knew more of this so that like, that I know now back then. Um, yeah, it was, it was, I loved it. It was challenging and it was hard. And obviously like um, after the brain injury, it was all my doctors were like, well, you're not doing that anymore. I was like, all right. Which again goes to the unknown of like, so now what? Um, and finding a career out of mindfulness was so helpful in those moments. Yeah, definitely. I mean, how, aside from the obvious shift that happened or the obvious transformation that occurred, how have you noticed that your work changed or evolved now that you've incorporated a lot more mindfulness into your work? Like maybe some examples of how you would have dealt with something one way back then, kind of like this story with the meltdowns and how you would handle it now. Um. Well, I was lucky in that, like, so I was working in a classroom with this teacher who was great, and we incorporated a bit of yoga into our days with mm. these kids. Um, very short, because they didn't like it. Um, but bringing in some meditations would be something that I would add in now. Um, the body scan in particular is something that really helps you to notice what's going on in your body mm. and um, to start to pay attention to it. So like, if you're able to be like, hey, I'm feeling this. And then what happens afterwards, right? Because I would do a lot, like a lot of my role was like, so this happened. And then like, we call it an ABC chart, like the antecedents of what happened before, then the behavior, what happened, like what happened during, and then the consequence. And not like punishment consequence, but like... Um, what came of it? Yeah. So like an antecedent could be like a kid wanted... a a toy that say somebody else had. And then the behavior was that they grabbed the toy out of the kid's hand. And then the consequence would be like, now they had the toy, but then the other kid was mad at them. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's like a simplified version, but that's what like I would work through with them and then be like, so when you did this, this is what happened. And then this was sort of the consequence of it or like whatever. And so helping them to kind of figure out like, Oh, so when I do this, like whenever I grab something out of somebody's hand, then they're going to be upset with me. Mm -hmm. That's like small kids, obviously. Um, and it changes as it grows. Like, as I said, now I've been working more with adults. Mm -hmm. And I worked with this woman, and this is my, um, as a therapist. And she was in a relationship with her partner. And we did a lot of mindfulness and um, dialectical behavior therapy, or DBT, and it's skills-based program. And she would say how... Um, he would say something to her, like they'd be in separate houses and he would text her something and she would get, like she would react to it. Mm. And then she would send text after text after text after text. And then they would be in a fight. And then the next day she would be like, I shouldn't have sent that. And so then she felt a lot of guilt and shame. And then he was angry. And so she's like, now I've made things worse. And then learning how to be more mindful, she was like, there were times where she almost sent the text, but then didn't put the phone down and walked away. And she's like, and then the next day she's like, our relationship was fine. Cause I didn't, we didn't have the fight. And she's like, and I felt so much better about myself because mm -hmm. I didn't have that. Like, Oh, I said the thing that I shouldn't have said. Yeah. And we didn't have a fight and he responded better. Like he was like texting her first thing in the morning. And she was like, Oh, Oh, this is so much better. I didn't, A, I didn't make things worse. And B, I feel so much better about myself and things are good because I didn't, you know, react the way that I normally would have reacted in these situations that like, you know, our minds, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, he said this because he means this or because he's mad at me. And it's like, do I know this? Probably mm -hmm. not. Is he mad at me? Maybe not. Um, but like, noticing oh this is oh this is my pattern and this oh this is what I'm thinking but is this factual right because mm. thoughts are just thoughts but we don't think that like we think everything is factual like oh he hates me he's mad at me he's doing this or this person like you know, our brains can just go off on tangents mm -hmm. but mindfulness helps us to 
to bring it back and to like notice like, oh, my mind's starting to wander. Time to like come back to myself and kind of like this moment. Yeah. No, that's, that's amazing. I can agree more. Yeah. And especially the part where we, we don't know things for a fact. We just are, are afraid of it. And so we say, oh yeah, for sure he hates me or for sure he's mad at me or for sure there's this and for sure there's that. And, uh, and we can be so convinced of the thing, right? Even with yeah. anxiety, for example, or being convinced that the bad thing is going to happen. Like you just cannot shake the feeling that the bad thing is going to happen. It's so hard yeah. to tell someone, well, you don't know that for a fact. It's like, well, no, but I don't want to wait until it happens. Like I'm scared, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it's, it's really hard to find that balance between reasonable fear because <clears throat> it's something a little bit scary or perhaps a little bit risky and something that just regardless it hasn't happened and it may never happen like it, it is difficult yeah. to navigate that right um so what, what's some advice that you can give if somebody's in that position let's say similar to your client that you're mentioning uh how can they say okay maybe it is true maybe i'm not wrong however i don't know this right now and you know i just need to focus on what i know in this moment is is that does that make sense? Like, what are yeah. some ways that they can find their center? So um, one of the things that I teach in my mindfulness work that is based on my um, psych background uh, with DBT in particular is it, it's called the three states of mind. Mm -hmm. So there's our emotion mind, which is, you know, when we're angry, right? Um, there's a the reasonable mind, which is, tends to be more analytical. And then our wise mind is sort of the kind of, the best of both of the emotion mind and the reasonable mind. Because reasonable mind, we could be like pros and cons all day long and never take action. Emotion mind can be, you know, is a lot more um, motivating, right? Like if we're angry or excited, like we're more inclined to like act. But the wise mind is kind of our gut, our intuition. And it's like, okay, I'm noticing this, I'm noticing this, but like operating more from a place, a place of wisdom versus emotionally responding so like it's noticing like i'm feeling this and i want to do this yeah um but taking a moment to just pause and to to notice you know what i'm thinking what i'm feeling and kind of like if i do this what are the possible like you know consequences of what might happen mm -hmm. and just waiting right like in that um when i talked about like that client and like wanting to text the partner mm -hmm. when she put the phone down and she like put the phone down and left the room, right. To give her that, like to utilize her wise mind to create that space. Like she had to physically walk away from the phone. Mm -hmm. And when she came back like the next day, she was able to respond in a different way. So in that way you could be like, you know, when you said this, I noticed that I was feeling this and I was thinking this, um, like, so you can have a, a conversation versus an argument or yeah. a fight. Yeah, absolutely. And creating that space, like leaving the room, like you said, that's something so simple, but it's so effective. If you stay there kind of, you know, soaked in the drama that just took place or soaked in the thing, in the dynamic or in the thought, in the fear, whatever, you, you, you can't possibly gain any perspective you can't possibly make sense of what's happening because you're stuck in it and sometimes even just looking away or looking outside or walking outside and realizing that there's a bigger yeah. world outside the tunnel vision can really can really be helpful right I and mean, giving it time yeah. <clears throat> and if you're in the same room as the person and you know a fight is starting or whatever it can mm -hmm. be something as simple as like i'm just gonna i need to go get a glass of water right and so you leave the room you can get a glass of water um one of the things they teach as part of like it's like a distress tolerance skill. So it's learning how to you know, regulate your emotions in those moments is like putting some cold water on the back of your neck or like, you know, on your face or an ice pack or whatever to kind of like cool yourself down, like literally mm -hmm. in that moment. And then like to come back to the space into the room or like step outside in winter, right? Without a coat on and just be like, I just need a minute. Mm -hmm. And you talked about how you do a lot of work with boundaries, right? And like having that space to be like, I'm not ending this, but I just need a moment to mm. kind of, I just need a break. I'm just going to go outside. I'm going to take a few minutes and then we'll continue like whatever. And, mm. you know, initially starting that is challenging because the other person is like, but this is new. This isn't how we do this. Like 
I say this mm-hmm. and then you say this and then we fight and then this happens and now you're changing the pattern is challenging, but like being, you know, mindful and recognizing boundaries and just being like, I just need a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And creating that space is so important. I, I almost feel like there can't be mindfulness without boundaries. <laughs> like no. just to have that moment with yourself, like that's a boundary, that's a decision. You yeah. know, a decision to create space is a boundary and that often comes with mindfulness and just being aware of the moment and what the moment needs, because it's one thing to do it when there's no chaos and everything's fine. And you're going to be like, yeah, let me sit on my mat and have a beautiful meditation with my aromatherapy candles. And, you know, it's one yeah. thing to do that. And that's lovely. Don't get me wrong. Like, um, but it's another to be mindful off the mat in a situation or in a crisis or in a conflict and, and create that same space or set those same boundaries. Yeah. It's really hard. And then you think it's all going to be okay. You're like, this is how I handle things or how I would handle things. Then when it actually happens, you're like, no, 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 but this is different. This is different. It's like, no, it can be the same. It can be, it, it can totally be addressed the same way, right? Like conflict can be calmed. It doesn't have to be this yeah. huge whirlwind, right? So, um, yeah. And it's so hard. Like you say, it's such a practice because you feel so justified in saying things sometimes. right? I know. Like, I know I've had moments like that too, where I'm like, I'm for sure not going to regret this. Like, I'm just going to say it. And I'm like, no, no, I regret it. <laughs> and it's like, no, oh, this for sure. super bad or anything like that. But I'll be like, no, 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 this one needs to be said. And then in hindsight, I'm like, you know what, Jen, you, you didn't need to say that one. <laughs> You didn't need to say that. Yeah. Um, but how can people navigate that? Like if they're feeling so convinced, like this is necessary hmm? and I need to say this, like this person has to understand this. Um, how can they practice the mindfulness that regardless of true or false or whatever, there's still room for mindfulness. Like how can they keep that in mind? So um, in a situation like that, we are like, I really need to say X to this person. And it's, Figuring out like, okay, so who, is it my boss? Is it my partner? Is it like, like who is the person that I'm speaking to? Mm. What is the situation? And what is, like, what do I want out of this? So it's knowing all that before going into the conversation. And that's where the mindfulness comes in, right? Mm -hmm. So um, like, I'll just give an example of like, it's my boss Mm -hmm. and I want a raise. Like, I think I deserve a raise. So I'm going to go to my boss and I'm going to ask for a raise. So what is my priority in that conversation? Is it to maintain the relationship I currently have with my boss? Is it to get the raise? Or is it to just advocate for myself and to speak up and be like, I think I need a raise, Mm -hmm. right? And so knowing which of those is my priority will dictate how I speak to my boss. Like if I don't care about our relationship, I might say things not necessarily like kin to a fight, but I might more strongly push for my raise, right? If that's my priority, if it's getting the raise, regardless, like I might even quit my job because no, my priority is getting a raise. If my priority is just to speak up for myself, I might just ask if he says no, um, still being okay because like, well, at least I asked. Mm-hmm. Right? And if my priority is maintaining the relationship with the boss, you know, I might not push it as much. Yeah. I might ask, he says no, I'm like, all right, and back off. But like knowing what is my priority going into that will help me navigate my way through it. And that applies to any kind of a situation. If it's like, I need to have this serious conversation with my partner because like, say maybe I want us to be more serious or whatever. Knowing what my end goal is in that conversation will help me work my way through it and you know, kind of staying grounded and coming to some of the mindfulness techniques that I you know, teach because any conversation can become heated and then it's like pausing and coming back and be like, nope, remember what your goal is here, right? What's my priority? And it's retraining the brain and it's going to be hard the first few times, but eventually, you know, you kind of get a bit better at like navigating these kind of relationships. Yeah, that's so interesting. I love that. That idea of being clear with your intention, like what's your end goal and making sure that it's not it's sometimes even ego driven. You know, we may go into it with this intense desire to get what we want from something, but it may actually really be the worst thing <laughs> for the relationship, yeah. for ourselves even. Um, and maybe even being clear, like you said, like what is, what do you want? Because then that way you can also prepare yourself. Like this might happen, this might happen, and that might happen. Am I okay with any yeah. of these? outcomes and which one am I really really not okay with so then maybe I'll stay away from like the self-fulfilling prophecy or I'll stay away from the thing I know is going to go bad right 
That's pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah, that's and it, and it allows you, and even in that pausing, I think, even in that pausing, you're also going to see, is this necessary right now? Yeah. Right? Like it, it gives you a chance to even, to figure out even yes or no, right? Am I even going to go there right now? So that's really interesting. I like that. Um, yeah, that was really, that was really great. <laughs> and, and what about in the heat of the moment? Like something's happening in the heat of the moment and, you know, the, you're, it's getting, it's getting intense. Let's say it's a friend or a romantic partner. Let's say that it's not uh, work related or anything like that. You're quite close with this person and it's getting intense and you want to <clears throat> get some space, but also you're not trying to shut out the person as they're expressing themselves. So how do you do the space thing without sort of shutting out the other person, which can also be hurtful to them? Like, is there a way that we can do this in, in a, in a way that is, truly for the better and not just to shut it out and not deal with it. And also if we're on the receiving end of that, how do we know like to, to respect that or if it's actually being used as um, like a, as a mean thing that's being done? Like, do you understand what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, as it, like with being more aware of what's going on inside yourself, you can say, I'm hearing this. And when I hear this, this is how I'm feeling. And it kind of gives the person the opportunity of like, but like, that's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you're saying these words, but what I'm hearing is like X, Y, and Z. And mm -hmm. then the person can be like, but that's not what I said. And like, but that's how it sounds in my head. And so that's what I'm reacting to. Sure. I sure. mean, I sound so like, you know, psychotherapisty in that like you don't have to use the exact kind of language that I'm using but like you start to navigate it and figure it out on your own but it's like you know when you said that it felt a little mean mm -hmm, yeah and I took it to mean that you were doing this because like like you know I'm reacting this way because like my previous partner used to always say this and this is what it meant and I know you're not that person, but when you say this, it brings me back to that place. And so I'm reacting from like old patterns. Again, that's very psychotherapist. No, no, well, you are a psychotherapist. So it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally okay. <laughs> Sorry. I just... Like you'll start to navigate things on your own and you might not say things the way you meant it in that conversation. Um, but coming back to say the next day, being like, hey, so yesterday was kind of, we were kind of off and we had, you know, this big fight and I noticed afterwards that this is how I felt and that like some of it was about you and some of it wasn't and some of it was my stuff and that I need to kind of work through. And so can we just take today to just kind of settle down and then maybe revisit this? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's perfect. I think, I mean, so much of what you said also requires a level of self-awareness and trust on both parts, right? Both people have to be consciously, doing this for the better. If anyone's trying to yeah. gaslight anybody, that unfortunately kind of ruins the plan, <laughs> kind of ruins yeah. the work that's being done. So that unfortunately is something that happens and will interfere with, with the situation and will exacerbate the, the drama, right? And the, the intensity of the situation. But definitely if we're considering that people are going to be consciously, mindfully investing in this moment in some way and in a positive way, then yes, I, I, I totally believe. And that's most of the time, right? Nobody's actually trying to hurt <laughs> the other person. No, yeah. Ooh, so sorry, I have like something. Um, no one's actively trying to hurt someone. That's not usually what's going on. That's not usually what people want to do. So I think if that's the intention, being clear and saying, you know, this is how I feel. And I think also that vulnerability, like you said, of, of saying, it's, uh, I know you're saying this, but it feels like this. Just being vulnerable sometimes can cut the, can cut the, the tension and can stop the fire a little bit, yeah. you know, because if it's too much of, but you said this and you said that and it, it never ends. Right. But if yeah. you can just break it down and say, look, it just felt like this, it's feeling like this, you know, and just be honest and say it. I think that can be so helpful because often what ends up happening is it's, it's fear, right? We're scared and we're in the situation that's difficult. And so we're doing everything we can to protect ourselves. Right. And that's yeah. often what makes it so intense. But I like the idea, like you said, of, of just saying it and also revisiting the next day. And, or another time and, and, and coming back to it and seeing what can be done. What I really liked as well that you said <laughs> is the part about, um, you know, I know you don't mean this and I know you're not that person, but it brings me back to that time. And then you then said later on that 
you know, the person would say, that's my stuff to work through. That's not you. That was my stuff. So in taking that into consideration, uh, how are some, what are some ways people can be mindful of that? Like understand that some things are their responsibility and not project them onto their partners and not bring it into their relationship from past relationships into this relationship. Um, how are some, yeah. What are some, what are some ways people can be mindful of that? Um, well, the more you, the more you sit, kind of like actually sit and meditate, you start to notice like thoughts that come up all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And I always, you know, thoughts around like, like whatever about yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when something happens, you get into a situation, an argument or whatever with a person and those thoughts come back up and you're like, oh, oh, this is a thought that I've been having for years, yeah. right? So then you can start to recognize, oh, this isn't about this. Um, I'll give an example. Mm -hmm. So I was in Toronto, we have, um, as you would might know, the Royal Ontario Museum, the ROM. Um, and they, every winter they have an exhibit called the it's the wildlife photographer of the year so it's like a national geographic thing and there's all these pictures and i was supposed to go see it um with a friend we had both had already seen it we were going to see it again together um and then they were sick and couldn't come okay. and so i was there on my own and they were texting me asking me questions i should say um my friend was is a guy um not that that really matters but um <laughs> i know what you mean as in like you should, you're gonna say him instead of they yeah i, I get it <laughs> um so he was texting me like what are you thinking about this and like there was this one exhibit and it was all these images of like um animals being kind of tortured um some of them like kept as pets like monkeys um and the big one that had won was a picture of a rhinoceros that had its horn cut off mm. and it was disturbing and i was i said something back to the person about like how hard it is to look at some of these images and they were asking me more about it. And I said, you know, the terrible things that people can do to animals. And he wrote back something about like, you know, people have been doing terrible things for years. Like why in particular did this upset you? And like, this is the friend that like just tries to get you to like think deeper about topics. Right. Mm -hmm. Completely benign question. Right. Mm -hmm. Why, like, why is this bothering you so much? But this was a few years ago, and this is right in the midst of, you know, Me Too and Harvey Weinstein and all that stuff. And as a woman who's lived in the world, has, you know, most women have some experience of har sexual harassment or assault to some degree. Mm. When he asked about, like, you know, the horrible things that people do. I immediately got triggered mm. because, because of what was going on in the world. And like, as I said, I worked as a therapist and a lot of my clients, my and like we all, I shouldn't say we all, but we either have our own personal or know someone who has experienced something, some form of harassment, as I said, and now I'm mad. Mm -hmm. But he said nothing to make me mad. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But I knew I was mad. And so the mindfulness comes in where it's like, I'm mad about this. And this person has triggered this, but they've done nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. But I'm still mad. So I have to deal with being mad. Um, so taking space with, with, with my responses. And I ended up like leaving that room and going to another room in the ROM. Um, but I was like, you know, walking around a museum when you're mad, not <laughs> helpful. Um, so I was like, I'm leaving. Like I told him, I was like, I like I'm heading home, um, walking home. Um, the realm is a young and blur. It's quite a walk <laughs> to my condo, but mm -hmm. I had to get out of there. Um, I needed to walk and I needed the cold air. And those are two things that I teach with distress tolerance. Um, is exercise, like intense exercise, that kind of like doing like say 15 jumping jacks when you're like really agitated um, or getting outside without a coat on. I mean, I had my coat cause I was leaving, 
but I walked and like I booked it down Bloor Street and turned down Young and like it took me a few blocks and then I noticed that I was starting to relax like when I saw um this guy sitting in um just like in the window of like a restaurant and he had one of those like handlebar mustaches and I chuckled and I was like all right I'm kind of starting to come back (laughs) and like I started to slow down and my walking and then I was like all right I'm feeling good and then like I passed the used bookstore and I was like ooh books and like got home and finished the conversation with my friend. I've never had the conversation with my friend about how I felt. And I use this example all the time because they did nothing wrong. I wasn't yeah. mad at them, but I was mad. And so like, all right, how do I manage my emotions? And for me, it's movement. Like when I'm angry, I need to walk. And yes. So I did. And so then when I was talking to him again, I was fine because again, there's nothing, nothing to do with them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's, that's, that's so perfectly explained. I think that was so concrete and clear and it's, it it happens all the time and it makes us feel so justified in being angry. And it's like, you're not wrong. You are justified in being angry, but you're not justified in taking it out on this person who hasn't said anything wrong. (laughs) Right. And it's so easy to do that or to be like, Oh, my ex used to do this or, Oh, you know, my, my parents used to do this or, Oh, my boss. Like it's so easy to to tangle everything, you know, and to mischannel the frustration, especially if it's something that we've not come to terms with and that we've not dealt with or that we're in the process of dealing with, yeah. you know, which is with it, most things where nobody's not in the process of anything, right? Like no one's just like, nope, I've handled every little thing I need to handle in my life. I'm good. Everything's groovy. Like that doesn't really happen. We all have little triggers and if we don't know it yet, it'll pop up at some point, you know, we all have little yeah. things. So I think just being mindful about about that is really important. And I love the way you explained it. Like if it's something that you know, like if the words were not mean or if the thing is not happening the way you're thinking it happened, then check yourself and see if it's really more within you. I think the difficulty with that as well, though, sorry, I just interrupted myself my own thought process. (laughs) But the difficulty with that is also this, um, this idea of realizing, okay, but it's like, and why am I upset about this? It's it, it kind of because when we're on that warpath, let's call it, or when we're like on our, our tangent of being upset about something, it can be really hard to say, oh, I think I'm just being triggered by this. Like it's, I'm misreading yeah. the situation. It's, it's hard to admit that in that moment you're upset. So it's hard to think that maybe in that moment you're wrong or that maybe it doesn't need to be said or that maybe, you know, it's difficult, I think. And I, I know I've had moments like that where I'm thinking, no, but this has to be said. Like this is, it's about time that this gets said. And it's like, okay, well, hang on though. Don't put the baggage of all things past in this moment, like onto this moment, you know? So I think, um, yeah, it's a practice, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And that's, that's an example of emotion mind. Yeah. That I talked about earlier. It's like noticing like, no, this needs to be said and this is what's going and this is what I'm feeling. It's like when you start to get aware, like, oh, so this is emotion mind. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how to like, you know, pause and come back into like sort of the more, more um wise mind and like, so how do I navigate through this? And it might still be like this thing needs to be said, mm-hmm. but from a wise mind place might change how you say it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. That's, I think, the most important thing as well is not that you're trying to tell yourself that you're not justified in feeling what you're feeling or telling somebody else that they're not justified. Like, you know, the feelings are real, but there can be another way to handle the situation, right? And usually there is. Usually the the impulsive version of the story is not the one that ends well. (laughs) So, yeah, that's so cool to keep in mind. And I love the way you've broken it down into those three minds. So we have the, the, can you, can you repeat the three minds? So it's reasonable mind, which is, as I said, like it's more like factual based. Um, Then the emotion mind is like, say, anger, but even happiness can be emotion mind. Like you can be so happy that you like go out shopping and you buy way more than you had intended to, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're an emotion mind. You're happy. And you're like, yeah, let me buy this and do this. Um, And then the wise mind is sort of like the middle path, your gut, your intuition, that voice that says like, you know, maybe now you stop. Or like maybe you've had like maybe we take a moment or whatever, um, and a good way of noticing like as we talked about like this thing that needs to be said, if it if the thing only needs to be said when you're angry, it's an emotion mind decision. But if the thing that needs to be said happens when you're sad, happy, content, angry, like if you feel it constantly, then that's your gut telling you that like yeah this is a thing that I need to say. 
mm-hmm. um, and recognizing like, but I'm angry in this moment. So I'm going to wait until like I'm more centered and then I'm going to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you actually just made me think, I want to ask you, like, so for people who want to find out how they can tap into their intuition or how they can listen to, uh, I, I want to say the voices in their head, but I'm thinking given the context that I shouldn't use those words. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but how can people be sure, like, this is my intuition rather than I think it might be my intuition, but maybe I'm overthinking it and I'm being extra safe and I'm more in my, like my rational mind. Uh, how can, how can they know like this may actually be my, my gut? Is there a way to check yourself somewhat quickly, uh, in the moment? Yeah. Um, connecting into how it feels, right? Like something like when it's anger, basic, there's a lot, like it's a lot hotter. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's more of your gut, like it also tends to be a quieter voice. As I said, it tends to be there kind of more all the time versus just like when you're super hot and angry or whatever. Um, and then like, if you really are not sure if you start writing out, like say a pros and cons list mm-hmm. and then read it afterwards, you'd be like, Oh yeah, this this is like, you know, my gut talking to me or like, Oh no, like my cons list is like, um, the con is saying this thing is is like, I'll destroy this relationship. Then maybe it's (laughs) not needed. Maybe it's not necessary. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good one. Pros and con when you're in doubt. Yeah. Like the pro and con lists are are good. Pros and cons. I can never say that pros, pros and cons list. Um, are always a good place to go or even a good place to start. And then you kind of see how you feel when you've written out the worst case scenarios or written out the, the fears of the situation, like of a, the different outcomes, right? Yeah. And help you get started from there. I like that. But I, I especially, yeah, like the idea of checking in and seeing what's going on. And the fact that you were able to do that with your friend as well, like the fact that you were able to say, okay, I'm really triggered right now. And I know that it's not because he said anything wrong. So how yeah. can I, how can I manage this? How can I, uh, get out of that because I think it's I think that's one of the hardest things right yeah. if you get really emotional and then we just want to be like but I'm but I, this is you know we want to feel better right and the, the ego is pretty relentless but the ego doesn't have the highest emotional intelligence so it tends to no. just, yeah. it tends to just kind of go it's like a really clumsy <laughs> it's like a really clumsy uh person or like yeah you know, it's a bit of a dog running in the snow or like running in the mud you know when they and get, our thoughts can start to spiral right and like get more like build on each other and then like he said this thing and then he meant this and now it's this and then it's like yeah next thing you know so you far, have, like, family and five kids you don't know about and it's like that is literally my example that i always use like he's <laughs> really? cheating on me and he's got this other whole other family and then and then i i had that moment in uh like when i was dating this guy and i was like wait what <laughs> Where did my mind go? Because I'm like, um, this person spends too much time with me talking to me to actually have another family. And who has the time for this? And that sounds exhausting. And I'm like, why? And like, or maybe this is just my anxiety talking. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And then you also wonder like that poor family, like you should go, you should go to them. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, no. Like, I know too much about this person, and I, like this person talks to me too often to have another family. The wife would be like, "Who are you talking to for six hours?" <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. Oh man, I've always and I've always done that as well. Like I'll always think of the worst case scenario, like things that can happen. I'm like, imagine it's this, and then I start to make it so real in my head. I'm like, okay, well, we need we need to settle down. <laughs> this is going yeah. too far. Um, or we we'll do all kinds of things, you know, to make sure that you know we protect ourselves. I think at the end of the day, it is a fear, right? We want to make sure that yeah. we've ruled it all, like that we've ruled everything out. And, and I think one of the things, I mean, I'm not a, a big thrill seeker and I live on an island where you have to go on this road and it's a cliff and it's scary <laughs> and oh, it took me time okay. to get used to it. And it's, there's no way out of the town without taking this road that's obviously in the mountain and it's, cliff for a while (laughs) and uh beautiful views but scary and we took a scooter and we went and it scared me because it was a scooter and it's not a car and it just made me more afraid and I kept thinking that this is a reasonable fear to have like things can happen there have been no accidents here just so you know but I in my in my head I'm thinking well it just takes one person I don't know why everyone's telling me there's never been an accident but it always takes one right and then I'm thinking my god the worst thing if I die on my birthday (laughs) 
And I'm oh, thinking yeah. all the things. And then I was so freaked out when we were on the scooter and I thought, oh my God, like nothing's happening. Relax. And if you were driving, you'd feel more in control, but you don't feel in control because you're not driving and you're freaking out because you're thinking of the worst thing, but nothing's happening. You're going 30 kilometers an hour. Nothing's happening. There's never been an accident and you can freak out and handle it if and when something happens. And also I just tried to breathe and I told my brain that everything was okay because my brain just yeah. needed to know. It needed to get the memo. <laughs> and so I gave it through breath. And then all of a sudden, I actually did calm down. And I actually did focus on the moment. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm buying a scooter tomorrow and doing this every day, but it helped. Yeah. <laughs> I also realized what my fears were and that I was putting them into my moment, like these negative obsessive thoughts that, you know, we were going to be, be, be dro- driven off the, the cliff or that we were going to, like with no proof to that, like with no... Uh, like we're not going fast. There's not that many people. Like it's not, you know, but it's yeah. really easy to just spiral. And uh, and the more real it feels, or the more convinced you are of it, or possibly the more afraid, the the more you you think that you can't let go of that thought, as if obsessing about it does anything about it. It's weird. It's it's like the craziest thing. But um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and then I just tell myself all the time, like it just takes one, so that doesn't make me feel any better. <laughs> you know, or uh, things like that. But I definitely like the idea yeah. of, of checking it in. And for moments like that, I mean, in terms of like conflict or argument or even thinking the boss example that you gave or uh, the, the situation with your friend as well, um, what about the moments where it's you really are just afraid and there's no sense of like, oh, this has happened before or uh, it's not anything where you're thinking, okay, you've not done anything. I'm just probably being triggered by my thing. If it's yeah. something like the scooter moment, for example, um, or, or another thing like people afraid to drive, what, what what are some practices for them as well? Like it is very real to be afraid to fall off a cliff on a yeah. motorbike, but but how can we manage that in uh, in in other ways? Like I did breath work a little bit there, but what are some other ways? Like what would you say to someone? So um, one of the things that we talk about um, in my work is like coping ahead, mm-hmm. right? So it's planning. Like if you're going to say. So you have conflict with your family and it's Christmas and you're going over for dinner and you know that like it can get stressful and you can get you know worked <laughs> up. So coping ahead and like, so what can I do? And it's like, so when this happens, like I'll have a plan to leave at this time, mm-hmm. right? I'll come and I'll stay for this bit and then like I'll leave after dinner or I'll like go for a walk or like, you know, knowing what I need to do to get through it. Yeah. Something more like the scooter incident. Um, a few years ago, I went zip lining, and I'd never done it before. I was in Costa Rica. Always wanted to do it, but you know, there's a lot of fear. Sure. Um, and it's just like, would I would I rather never go zip lining, or would I rather work through the fear of knowing that, like, you know, I could be that whatever percent that something goes wrong, right? And so it's working from it like before you get to the zip lining place. I'm figuring out like, but you know, I'd rather just do it. Like I've always wanted to do it. So I'm going to do it. So I went and, um, I don't know if you've ever been ziplining and it was over like treetops. I'm not afraid of heights per se, but I'm afraid of falling to my death. (laughs) I mean, I'm afraid of both. So already I know what you're talking about and I know Costa Rica and I know I I could just picture it and I'm just thinking, wow, that's amazing for you. But also I kind of want to die right now. (laughs) Yeah. And it was like multiple like lines that we were going down. And every time we would like, I would start out and I'd be like, I've made a terrible mistake, (laughs) (laughs) but like I was already out there. And then like in the middle, it'd be kind of fun, like moments of kind of fun, kind of like, what was I thinking? And then it's, and then as you said, like it's coming to the breath and just like, just breathe through it. I will be fine. It's too late anyway. Like you're on the cliff or you're on the zip line. I mean, I don't know that that verbiage is like the best one, but uh, it's too late. You're doomed. Like, (laughs) but no, I think definitely just breathing through it because, you know, you made the decision and it's true that if it was so bad or if I really didn't want to, you know, nobody was holding me at gunpoint. I didn't have to go on the scooter. So, you know, and same with the zip lining. I mean, that must have been incredible though. Just side note. Like it was. Yeah. And I'm so glad (laughs) I did it, but like, and like that, and like I went whitewater rafting, for the first time a few years ago and the same thing I had like the first rapid hit and I was like what was I thinking <laughs> yeah. it was the best and it was so much fun I mean we fell out a ton 
Um, but like you get back in and you keep going. That's amazing. And fear can stop us in our tracks from so many things, from yeah. like going rafting, riding a scooter, um, talking to the guy you think is cute, yeah. asking your boss for a raise, um, quitting the job that you hate. Like it can just stop us because we get this like comfortable place or just like, you know, this is like, I know this, so I'll just stick with this. But like, there's that expression, you know, everything you want is on the other side of fear and yeah. asking yourself, what what would I rather? Would I rather stay here in this this little bubble, or would I rather you know do the thing? Yeah. What is my fear? What is the worst case scenario? And a lot of the times, the worst case is not death. Mm-hmm. It's maybe mild embarrassment. Um, <laughs> but then being like, but like I can get past that. Yeah. Like I'll feel like I'm gonna die in the moment, perhaps. But like at the end of the day. I never have to like necessarily see this person again, <laughs> right? Like if I go up to a guy at a coffee shop and he shuts me down, I never, like, I will never probably see him again. That's like, true. That's true. Odds? I do believe that that's, yeah. Understanding that fact, especially with strangers, um, can definitely be helpful. But when it's someone that you know you're going to see again, that can be a bit cringy. But yeah. I know what you mean, though. How bad could it possibly be? And also, if you know that you're going to be making an absolute fool out of yourself, like actually, like there's verifiable evidence to this, then maybe, you know, a different approach. But if you're just going yeah. to say hi to someone, right, you know, about to like jump on, the, on a table and get naked, you know, you're just going to say hi to someone, perhaps jumping on the table and getting naked, you might want to just get a couple of opinions, right? Maybe. But maybe, you know, or, or just live your best life. Like you do you, you know, <laughs> and be happy with that. And that's great too. Um, and then you're happy with it. But if you're just embarrassed to not just, but if you're embarrassed to go talk to someone or to a guy you like, yeah. I mean, what's the, what's the, I, of course it's so embarrassing. I can, I can imagine the feeling like I'm, I, I really can, but it really isn't death. You're right. And it's, yeah. and it can be worked through and you, you'd be more sad to walk away and not do it. Right. That's why you're having the conflict in the first place. You obviously want yeah. to. So there's a way to, to go do it. And often you feel so much better, right? It's like when you have oral presentations, I used to get petrified before oral presentations in school. And then when I was done, I was like, Oh, okay. That was actually really fun. I kind of want to go do another one. <laughs> yeah. You know, or um, other things. it's for most situations. Um, it's never as bad as our mind can make it out to be. Yeah, sure. That's true. And that's like, you know, back in the day when, you know, fight or flight was needed because like we were going to be eaten by like... Lions and stuff. Lions, right? That's. I don't even know why I said lions. Probably not lions, but I don't know. But like anything, right? Yeah, literally. Like caveman days, right? Like when you needed to be aware all the time because it was literal life or death and now we're still living in that kind of a place but like the what's causing the fight or flight is like stress that you know is actually manageable like we're not literally yeah. most of the time fighting for our actual life but we operate from a place like this is a like this is death it's this or it's death and it's like well maybe it's not and so like checking in and like okay what is the literal worst case scenario here? And it's in most situations, it's not actually that I might die. No, right. Exactly. And the brain can't really distinguish between an oncoming lion and, you know, the embarrassment fear, right. Or the, the the brain doesn't really know. That's why there's mindfulness, right. There's the brain and there's the mind and the awareness and all of that stuff. So it, it is different. And if it's as simple sometimes as breathing and then, it, the, you know, your brain gets the memo and it calms down, it goes to show that that brain did not go through a really thorough process in assessing the situation necessarily. Right. Yeah. You, know, you could have possibly just, yeah, been triggered, been really afraid of that particular thing. Um, and then that's it. Like I'm a little bit of, well, pretty afraid of heights. I wouldn't say a little, but like, it's manageable now, but I used to be a lot worse. Um, and, you know, I, it's a simple question of telling my brain that everything's okay, right? So if it yeah. can work that w- in that direction, that way, effectively and fairly quickly, you know, it goes to show how quickly it can happen the other way and that it's not necessarily founded in anything true. Yeah. So that's an important thing. And then you can find that after it's so much better, like you zip lining, you've gone zip lining, you've, 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 uh, the, the rafting, you've done so many fun things now, right? Yeah. It's the best. So that's the, that's the, the best part. Yeah. I love well, that. It's like, um, it's like the lion and the mouse, right? Like you walk mm-hmm. into a room and there's a lion and you're like, Oh my God, this thing's going to eat me. I'm scared. Yeah. Whatever. And then like you get out of the situation and everything's fine. And you, 
a week later, you go back to the same room, and this time it's a mouse. But your body and your mind has yeah. the same reaction to the mouse that it did the lion because the last time I was in this situation, I had to fight for my life. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, I'm back here again. And then it's like, wait, but this is a mouse. <laughs> completely different, right? Yeah. But our mind and our body go there right away. Like when we're facing something with stress, the first place is the body and then it's the mind. And then like, so we're already like, we're already in fight or flight before our mind has even kicked in to be like, but that's a mouse. Yeah, yeah. You're okay here. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's that's really important as well. And making that distinction with all and even in really happy situations, like euphoric situations, like when you just meet someone that you fancy that you like, um, yeah. you'll have that immediate, you know, intense feeling, even combing through those emotions slowly to see what uh what you can do to be mindful getting into that relationship, right? Mm-hmm. You tend to get a little bit blinded, a little bit too excited, <laughs> right? Yeah. And just be a bit uh so it's not necessarily it's even like that you can even be applied well, do you think it can even be applied to not fight or flight, but to the more euphoric dopamine rush things? Oh, yeah. I mean, as I talked about, like, I use the example of, like, say, shopping, like, where you Mm -hmm. you buy too many clothes or whatever, um, which is an easy fix. You can return some of them. Um, (laughs) But, like, yeah, euphoria, because that's a strong emotion. Any strong emotion loves itself and wants to be fed, and it's usually fed with our thoughts and our actions. So anger is a huge one, fear but euphoria is one too. And it's like, yes, this is perfect. This is amazing. And like, you're running on those endorphins and you might do or say things you might not normally do. Um, there's constantly stories about people who meet and like, you know, fall in love immediately and get married. Like, Oh yeah. Fast. Yeah. And then like the euphoria goes away and then it's like, Oh shit. Oh, you can, you can, you can swear. You're allowed to swear. Oh, shit. What have I done? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, yeah. I thought that was like, shh. <laughs> I know, I saw that. I was like. <laughs> I used to work with kids. I'm used to not swearing. <laughs> no, I should put that on the disclaimer as well. Like, totally allowed to swear here. It's great. Like, <laughs> but no, that's, no, that makes, that makes perfect sense. You know, it's, uh, it's true. And we just, I think, again, it's not so much about trying to control everything that happens. You can't, your brain will have its patterns. I think it's just managing it um, and managing your, your reactions to the, to the mechanisms or to the happenings yeah. in your brain. And hopefully in time kind of reprogramming um, your responses to things so that you can find more balance. Right. Yeah, and that's what mindfulness helps us to do. It helps us mm-hmm. to notice what's going on. So you notice when you get into those patterns or you notice the thoughts, you notice the emotions, you notice what's going on in your body. And then like you know when to pause and to be like, okay, how do I wanna mm-hmm. how do I wanna respond? Not react, respond in this yes. moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. The difference between responding and reacting is so important. And like you said before, I think it was all fair. You had said you can't fix something that you don't know is happening. So if you don't know what's happening in your behaviors or your patterns or your, you know, your emotions and how you tend to handle situations or how you've not addressed maybe some triggers and things, you can't possibly get better. You can't possibly find any type of peace or or solution in this case. You don't know what's happening. So first of all, the awareness of it, right? So that's super. Yeah. Yeah. And like, we respond to things like the way we know, and when we don't know what we don't know, and like, we don't know how to cope with things in different ways. And so when we start trying things and figuring them out and seeing how they work, and you're like, oh, this, this helps. This is what Mm. I can do in this situation. Yeah, it's a practice. I love that so much. Oh my God, I feel like I could go on for ages and I also have to stop saying that every episode because it's going to stop sounding true, but it's so true. Like, <laughs> it's so true. These conversations are so fun. and I sometimes forget we're even recording no, and that we're I on could, air. Like, <laughs> I could talk for hours. Oh my God, same. Hours. <laughs> same. And this episode, this podcast, I mean, sorry, is like proof of that because there are a lot of solo episodes as well. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, I want to be mindful of your time and I definitely want people to know how they can get in touch with you and find out what you, you have going on right now uh, when they want to find you. Sure. Um, so my business is called The Mindfulness Journey. And so you can find me on my website, themindfulnessjourney.com. And I have um, a free seven-day like mindfulness challenge. Ooh, love that. Every exercise is 10 minutes or less. Seven days, zero dollars, 10 minutes a day. Like, um, and it's to kind of 
learn how to, you know, be more mindful. There's some guided meditations. There's some kind of like some of the stuff that like I talked about here, some examples, you'll mm. get some of those. Um, meditate to my voice. <laughs> oh, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and um, event like, and I'm putting together um, my own, like a course sort of thing. Um, a bigger challenge. It's going to be 21 days and that's um, coming in a, probably by the end of the month. Oh, that's and that's great. how to go from feeling overwhelmed to feeling more ease. Oh, amazing. That's good. Because we all need it, right? Like there's oh, yeah. so much going on outside of ourselves mm. and it's learning how to manage, you know, the insides, the outsides, listening to it all. And like, there's different practices, a lot of the same stuff. Like some of the examples that I've talked about here today may or may not appear in my teachings. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, I need a new example. <laughs> but like that one with my friend, I use it all the time because it's so like people get it. Like, yeah, no, oh yeah, I've been there. Yeah, We've all been there. I think it was a really good one. Uh, yeah. And I'll put all the links in the show notes, by the way, to everything that you're mentioning for everyone listening. All the okay. links are in the show notes so that they can find your freebie and they can find you and your, and connect with you and work with you. So yeah. So I just want to thank you so much for your time, Charlene. This was amazing. Such a great chat. And uh, I loved it. <laughs> thanks so much. I hope that you enjoyed that episode of Charlene. I know I did. So much good stuff in there. So much advice. So many great tips. It was such a pleasure to talk to Charlene. Honestly, sometimes I forgot that I was recording and that I was just chatting to a friend. It was just so fun. So I hope that you enjoyed that. And I've put all the useful links in the show notes for you. Otherwise, as always, if you love the show, I would greatly appreciate a five-star review. It really helps support the show, so thank you so, so much for that. Otherwise, until next Tuesday, namaste.